Hello, this is the Atlanta Storytellers Podcast. My name is John Carr. There are so many great literary shows, poetry shows, and storytelling shows here in Atlanta. So many amazing artists producing incredible work that lives and sometimes dies at these performances. This podcast is designed to capture that work and share it with the rest of the world. And so, here are some of those stories. My name is Charles Parrott, and this is a story called Craig is the Star that I performed a while back at a show called Dear Bear Wolf Presents Natural Selection. And I will say that Craig is not the real name of the kid in this story. It's a pseudonym that I gave him. But the story is true. Craig comes up to me and tells me he wants to be the star of the Christmas pageant. Craig is in like the fifth grade, and he doesn't seem to fit in anywhere, even here at church. So I always try to look out for him. Craig is uh, the kind of kid who's sort of heavy set with big black glasses and wiry black hair, and he always seems to have chocolate somewhere on his face at all times. And I say to him, Craig, <laughs> it's a Christmas pageant, so I guess the real star is, you know, the baby Jesus. <laughs> and he looks at me all confused for a minute, and he says, no. I want to be the star in the Christmas pageant. Ah, the star in the Christmas pageant. Well, that's good. Now we have a star, but from there it gets pretty thin because we're short on children for the children's Christmas pageant. And any decent Christmas pageant, you need at least a Mary, a Joseph, two shepherds, a handful of animals, three kings, a, can a couple of angels. And that's a 10-piece nativity right there before you even get to the baby Jesus. I suppose I should explain. I had started dating a woman who was in seminary and was a children's minister, and she didn't 100% understand what it meant that I taught performance studies, but she understood it well enough that I was directing the Christmas pageant. She had tricked me into going to church. Every week she would come up with some reason like, oh, I'm going to sing, so you should come, or my friend is preaching, so you should come, or it's Pentecost, whatever Pentecost even is, so you should come. And then I've gone to church four weeks in a row, and five weeks in a row, and six weeks in a row, and suddenly I just go to church now because she tricked me because, admittedly, she is smarter than me. And the worst part was, I did not entirely hate it. I mean, if I didn't go to church, I would hardly ever talk to children. If I didn't go to church, I would never hear stories from old people. If I didn't go to church, I would never share a meal with someone who lived on the street. I got to march in the Atlanta Pride Parade because I go to church. I do community service because I go to church. I have curbed my natural lust for revenge because I go to church. And at that place and at that time, those people were talking a lot about the fundamental brokenness of human beings. And, um, well, I don't believe in an invisible man who lives in the sky. But I was feeling that fundamental brokenness pretty hard, and I didn't want to do it alone anymore. And I think, if you're going to be a real liberal progressive, you need to try something that makes you uncomfortable occasionally. I mean, especially if it makes you uncomfortable. I mean, don't get me wrong. A lot of churches have done a lot of bad things to a lot of people. And so, let me give you some advice. Don't go to those churches. 
But you got to try things if they make you uncomfortable. You got to try them because they make you uncomfortable. That's what you have to do if you really want to embrace difference. Otherwise, you're just like another conservative in a disguise from Urban Outfitters. And there are so many people who are like, I'm so weird. I'm so different. Look at how I do this obscure thing. Well, you want to do something weird? You want to do something different? Do you want to do something really obscure? Then direct the fucking Christmas pageant because it's super, super weird. I mean, at a Christmas pageant, you might glue some cotton balls on a baby and call it a sheep. At the Christmas pageant, you're going to take a plastic doll from the nursery and put it in a trough and call it the son of God. At a Christmas pageant, one kid just wants to dress up like a robot, so you let him dress up like a robot because Christmas pageants are super weird. But like I said, this all got started because of a girl, and I wanted to marry her. And she was ready. I've read about people who date in their 20s these days, and it's like not clear when you're dating or where it's all going or if you're just hooking up, but you date some ladies who are in their 30s and that want to have babies, it is a real deal, or they are going to take it down the road because as she was fond of saying, the clock is ticking, motherfucker. You can see why I wanted to marry her. And I had every intention of proposing tomorrow, Saturday at the Christmas pageant. I'm not a put-it-up-on-the-jumbotron kind of guy, but I thought it'd be nice to propose to her at the end of the Christmas pageant. That's kind of sweet, right? And that's what I was thinking about. Exactly that on the Friday afternoon before as I left work and settled in for some Arby's. And I think that if Arby's had an honest slogan, it would be, Arby's, why do I keep doing this to myself? But anyway, I was eating my chicken, bacon, and Swiss, hating myself a little bit, and watching the television, and the sound is off, and it's got that black and white closed captioning, and there's some sort of chaos, uh, and cop cars, and talking heads, and, um, and it turns out that someone decided that day to um, murder 20 little kids at some place called Sandy Hook Elementary School. And unfortunately, we all know that moment because it keeps happening over and over again. Nothing could have stopped it. There are no if-onlys. There are no if-we-had-justs. Nothing can change it. Um, and it has nothing to do with you and it has everything to do with you. It is senseless. And it tells you so much. And maybe it was selfish, but I realized right away that the proposal would have to wait. Well, the next afternoon, the pageant goes off without a hitch. We had about four kids and five adults in it. Craig does his star bit with a mask I made him out of yellow foam board with these blinding LED lights, and there's some cross-gendered casting to make it a little subversive. Maybe ten people show up to watch it, and it's hilarious, and it's adorable, because little kids doing a Christmas pageant is always hilarious and adorable, because little kids don't fully know the difference between what is real and what is pretend. And you can't imitate that. And you can't manufacture that. It's the one thing that theater can't fake. All you can try to do is just capture it. Kids. Just being themselves. Because it hasn't occurred to them yet to try to be someone else. And everyone seems to feel the same way about the shooting. 
Nothing could have stopped it. Nothing could change it. And I feel that way. And the world is so fucked up. It is. And I can't change that. But I'm here. And I am decorating cookies with these kids. And doing this thing that makes them feel good. Making Craig a star. That afternoon at the pageant, my girlfriend and I agreed that the only way to end it was to light some candles, to say a prayer, and to sing. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in heavenly Hi, my name is Olive Lynch, and I'm reading a story that I wrote for the Atlanta show, Right Club. I thought that it'd be midnight. You know, it's always midnight, maybe 11.11. I checked my phone, it's 4.37 a.m. I scroll through my Twitter feed. The president just called Mr. Rogers a cuck. I miss smoking. I should be anxious. I should feel something. But I'm just bored or hungry. Same thing. I notice the clock. It's the first time in years I've really looked at it. My sister gave it to me. Each hour has a different bird call. Or at least it did 20 years ago when it was new. And suddenly I'm five, staring at that clock. And it's still 437, but in 1995. And I'm, I, I tossed and I, and I turned and I'm, and I'm frantic. And then I peed my bed on purpose. My mom came and changed the seats, and since we're all up anyway, may as well start Christmas. Sweet relief. I recall that I did a tactical bedwetting the next year, too, but it did not work as well. I got cocky. I consider peeing the bed now, but I don't think it'll work this time. I look at my phone again. Twitter freezes up, and the screen flickers out. Finally. And then he's here, cloaked, cold, grim, fierceful. A massive gray cloak, just like the illustrations. His sleeved hand raises and points at me. The inside is confusing. It's not just dark. It's like an absence of light, like deep water. I'm ready, I say. As I speak, it feels like the air is sucked out of my mouth. My ears pop. It's blindingly bright. And suddenly I'm in a hallway. There's fluorescent lights. The walls are completely made of cabinets, smooth, 
and white, no labels, no handles, and they go on as far as I can see in both directions, like the labyrinth or something. I can tell I'm supposed to walk, so I do. I turn to my silent companion, and he suddenly looks just ridiculous. I guess I imagine he'd glide or float or something, but he's just sort of <laughs> lifting his coat so he doesn't trip, like a cartoon housewife afraid of a mouse. As if he could hear me, he drops his death caftan and points aggressively at one of the cabinets. He seems self-conscious. For the first time, I hear my heart thump. My hands shake. My palms are moist. And I, I reach out and I touch the cabinet. Boop! The cabinet slides open. I shut my eyes. You're here, I think. You wanted this. Or at least you did when you were hungover at that occult bookstore. So I look. A skull, a small silver cylinder, a card written in cursive, remains of Olive Lynch, unclaimed. Are you fucking kidding me? He starts and looks behind him like I might be talking to someone else. There's no one else here, dumbass. So this is it. This is all you do. You're a one-trick pony. He tilts his head like a confused puppy. All you have to show me is that in the future I'm dead. Fucking duh. Thanks for showing me this death 2.0 Pinterest crypt. The future means death? Yeah, we figured that one out. Spoiler alert, sometimes I want to die. So does everyone under 30. Suicidal ideation is a fucking hobby now. It's a joke. It's a meme. Isn't it your job to give me a reason to care? To feel goodwill towards man and generosity of spirit and a reason to try regardless of moral relativism and knowing ultimately none of this matters and truth is a fantasy and we all die and when we die it's over bang we are gone lights out and there's no greater meaning or point and the world is so cruel and loud and unfair and it hurts and it is always hurting and every second you're not hurting it's because you aren't paying attention and i want to be good for goodness sake but there's no ethical consumption under capitalism and even if i donate and volunteer i'm still hurting people like the floor isn't lava the floor is babies and any step i take and everything I say or do, I feel them crunching underneath my idiot feet. And Jesus told us to forgive each other and be kind and radically empathetic. And it's been 2,000 years and we still have prisons and rape and libertarians and weed not legal and children are starving and suffer for no reason. And even if I spent the rest of my life trying to change that, it's just throwing that one starfish back. And we all know we're supposed to tell ourselves, well, it matter to that one starfish so we can sleep and buy and eat and shit. But I'm sorry, I can't pretend that every other starfish isn't asking what the fuck. And I'm so tired. I don't know if we will ever stop hurting each other. So why should I care about Christmas in the future tell me uh <clears throat> we um we figured out hoverboards <sighs> listen lady i'm just doing my job and i think you're really overestimating my wheelhouse here i show the client they died and no one cares about them okay what do you want from me i don't know you're the future ghost man Fix me! Have you considered therapy? I would like to speak to your manager. Um, I don't know if I have one. I've literally never thought about it before. Ah, so I guess this is the first time you visited a white lady. <sighs> it's fine. It's fine. I'll yelp. I'm doing my best. To be honest, I haven't worked in a while. Charlie Brown kind of cornered the whole materialism is bad, generosity good lesson thing, and people seem to like him a lot better because of the dog, I think. I should get a dog. Well, do you at least have any future tips for me? Something useful? 
Do any of my future regrets happen during a lottery number reading, for instance? Throw me a fucking bone, dude. Is Kismet a good name for a dog? Um, Bitcoin is gonna be big. You're a little late, dude. Um, don't cut your own bangs. When? Ever. Fuck you. You know what? I'm not the one looking for meaning from a goddamn Charles Dickens character. You know we just made it up, right? Like Christmas, what you think of as Christmas, no one gave a shit about it until the Catholics and the Puritans started fighting. And even then it wasn't that big a deal. And then Dickens was like, Christmas should be about women decorating and making tons of food and not being mad at me. That sounds dope. You think Christmas is about something more than materialism and religious indoctrination because a white guy 200 years ago thought that an allegory about kindness and sharing would sell books. And when some people started publishing it without permission, he sued the publisher into bankruptcy. So God bless us, everyone. I don't care about the past, dude. I don't care about my future either at this point. Just show me the future. Show me what happens next. Show me further. Show me something. The air is sucked out of my mouth again. My ears pop again. Suddenly it's blindingly light again. It's, it's like a movie on fast forward. Buildings grow higher. Super Target and Netflix presents the White House. People disappear. But the computers are still running. Automated drones drop copies of Love Actually, a timeless classic, onto the mountains of garbage. The, ti- the Times Square screen shows the Virgin Carrie, Mariah, in a nativity scene, cradling an Alexa. The three wise men are Jeff Bezos, Steve Jobs, and Elon Musk, beaming. Flickers, sleigh bells, animatronic Santa in a sleigh. It, it flies. Some Tony Stark shit. Spears pierce his head. Songs slurs. Sleigh falls. A naked woman raises his head in the air. Santa God is dead. We are free. The skyscrapers grow higher and higher, and then vines envelop them, and they fall. There's fire, and then ice. Mountains swell and recede. I see caves, then huts, then castles appear and disappear like popcorn then suburbs and suddenly I'm in a room and it feels like my room but the wallpaper is different and there's a clock on the wall but the birds look strange and the girl wedding herself has strange futures when her mother comes in to change her and forgive her she looks alien and familiar and it feels painfully simple so you're a future ghost and that shouldn't make sense unless everything is cyclical and the future is the past and the past is the future is that what you're trying to show me the future isn't death it's life it's just someone else's uh Sure? Yeah. And that is the story of when I flipped the ghost of Christmas future, the bird. Hey, my name's uh, David Russell. I've read this story or told this story at uh, Carapace at Manuel's Tavern, a storytelling show that's the fourth Tuesday of every month. So I caught the acting bug uh, before my fifth grade, uh, fifth grade year, I was taken to see Peter Pan with Kathy Rigby, and that summer was actually the height of my popularity because I also had a uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles themed bowling birthday party with uh, bowling and an unlimited use of the Ninja Turtles video game and cake. And an open bar for the parents, which is why so many of the parents of the kids uh, got taxi cabs home afterwards. But that was definitely the height of my popularity. And after I saw that Peter Pan, I wanted so badly to star in the fifth grade musical, A Cause for Mrs. Claus. And what I did was uh, I went to the library and I read up on acting. And what they to- what they talked about was method acting in this book that was like far too advanced for anything I should actually be reading. So because Santa was always bald, 
I spent that summer pulling out the hair from the back of my head so I could be a bald Santa Claus by the time auditions came around. And I, I, it, I was there and my mom was terrified and she took me to the doctor and she's like, what's going on? And he's like, it appears he's doing this himself. And I was like, I told you, mom, I want to be Santa Claus. And I'd also be walking the dog uh, in August and yelling out, ho, 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 and you know, making the neighbors really suspicious of me and my family. So uh, fifth grade comes and I audition for the part the third week of school. And let me tell you, uh, having a bald spot um, on the back of your head right around the time of not only Ninja Turtles but Karate Kid uh, makes for amazing wax on, wax off jokes. So I, I, uh, that was pretty much what I heard every day, but I didn't care because I just wanted to be Santa Claus. So I auditioned for this part and I get it and I am the lead and I'm going to be Santa Claus and I am just so so excited and the whole play is about how Mrs. Claus is fed up with Santa and uh, the fact that she isn't being thanked for all that she does and she flees and Santa has to try and find her and grovel and beg for her return and there's this main number called catch that loving feeling uh, that I had to si- that I had to sing with Mrs. Claus. It was our big duet, and I would practice that every night. And the only other characters, which besides me and Mrs. Claus, were the two elves, uh, and they were like wild cards. But they would say they would say lines like, "She cooks, she cleans, she washes our clothes. Why she's unhappy, nobody knows." And uh, about a uh, a month into this whole process and rehearsals, uh, we had a student teacher named Mr. Schwartz in our fifth grade classroom. And Mr. Schwartz, well, I wish I had seen Spaceballs before I did, because that would have been amazing. But he told us that uh, he knew Candace Cameron and Kurt Cameron, and that he wanted he would ask them to come to our performance. This was in Buffalo, New York, but he knew them, and they were supposedly going to be in Toronto and could make our performance. And as soon as I heard that, I knew I'd be a star and going to Hollywood. So when my parents would tell me to rake the leaves, I would say, um, you're going to miss me when I'm in Hollywood. I don't want to do that. And when we worked the school store, uh, Amy, who played Mrs. Claus and I, we would sign our names like autographs for students when they bought like pencils and Mrs. Claus, you know, Amy, David, Santa, because they were going to be worth something very soon when we made our full house debut. And uh, about a month before the play was ready to perform, uh, Mrs. Wiltberger, our music teacher, came, uh, brought us to her house to work on our songs. And that day I'd come right from a basketball game and she was having her rugs clean, but I was a star. So I didn't think she wanted me to take my shoes off. So I walked into this room with her piano with muddy shoes straight through these new carpets and she flipped out. She's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm Santa. I don't take my shoes off. And she disagreed with that. So uh, I, I did then take my shoes off, but we were uh, rehearsing Catch That Loving Feeling, and she's like, stop, David, you can't sing. And I was like, shouldn't this have come up in five years worth of chorus and whatnot? And she's like, no, you can't sing. I, all we can do is we can turn your solos into speaking parts. So that's exactly what they did. So Amy would sing the song, and I would be like a soliloquy, my parts, without piano. And... I didn't know how Candace Cameron would react to this, and I was very nervous, uh, nervous about that. So I, I tried, you know, I gave it my best, and uh, 
the day of the performance came and we were going to do one for the school in the afternoon and then one for the parents at night where we'd be discovered by Kirk and Candace Cameron. And uh, the afternoon performance, I'm dressed as Santa and it really goes well. Even my soliloquy is pulled off. The kids are still impressed. And I am so excited that I don't even take my Santa Claus costume off and I'm walking home. And again, this is Buffalo and it's already snowing out. And like, it's a convergence of middle schoolers and parents and us, us young elementary schoolers walking home. And then all of a sudden they see this 80 pound kid in a Santa costume and they start throwing snowballs at me and they don't stop throwing snowballs at me. So I'm just running and running and I'm like, a fi I'm a fifth grade Santa running for his life, trying to get home. And finally I get home and I hop the fence and like my costume is torn. So I, I duct tape it to fix it and I'm ready for tonight. And all I can think of is full house. All I can think of is being discovered by Candace Cameron. Uh, so we go back for the night performance and it, it's like that scene in Waiting for Guffman where they're waiting for the uh, reviewer to show up, except for that movie hadn't come out yet, but I felt it when I saw that. But there was, there's two seats reserved for uh, Candace and Kurt Cameron, and they never show up. And we do the performance anyways, and afterwards, uh, the music teacher takes us out for ice cream, and I start appreciating the simple pleasures as well. So that is how I got the acting bug. Thank you. There are so many shows with pieces just like the ones you've heard being produced all over Atlanta. Take some time, go see a show, and experience one of these pieces live.